Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. So very uh, quick but interesting topic today. I wanted to talk today about a concept that's been coming up again and again that we've been referring to internally at Case Fuel as the street fight paradox. So the reason that I call it the street fight paradox comes from something that I noticed um, over years of training jujitsu and uh, a little bit of Muay Thai. And what I noticed was that in general, the toughest guys at the gym who would probably win any fight that they got into almost never got into fights. Now, I don't think there's anything interesting or surprising about the guys who, you know, covered in tattoos, 240 pounds, cauliflower ear, et cetera, um, that aren't getting into fights because it's pretty obvious why, you know, most people wouldn't want to get in a fight with that kind of a person. But there are other people like that, um, especially in jujitsu. There's a couple guys out there who look like computer programmers and, you know, some of them actually are computer programmers, but you would never know from looking at them that these guys are out there absolutely destroying the competition on weekends at tournaments. So basically, let's get back to the paradox. The reason why a lot of people end up learning how to fight is because at some point, maybe they got bullied growing up or maybe they got mugged recently or something like that. They feel the need that they have to have the skills. People learn to fight so that they can fight. But the weird thing is that once you have the ability to fight, you pretty much almost never actually find yourself in a fight. That's the paradox. If you prepare yourself to be ready for a tough situation, you actually avoid the tough situation. But that's not through the use of the skills that you prepare for the situation 99% of the time. Having the skills will more often than not prevent them from needing to be used. So let's take it to a bit of a bigger picture, right? I started noticing this for the first time a couple of years ago, whenever I had tough negotiations, big closing calls, that kind of thing coming up. So I've always been really, really fascinated, if you can't tell from listening to the podcast, the psychology of this kind of thing. So a lot of times when I was gearing up for one of these big calls, I would kind of meticulously game plan this stuff out. You know, what's my opening statement? How am I going to set the expectation? What's my agenda? What are my contingencies? If things don't go my way, what's my backup plan? What's my backup backup plan, et cetera, et cetera. But the weird thing was that kind of like that situation with martial arts, the more that I was prepared for the call, the less I actually ended up using, right? So it was just kind of like that situation with martial artists never getting into fights. I would show up to these calls with, you know, a whole page of instructions. And then pretty much I'd find that, you know, they'd go really well. People would just be, you know, really amenable and I wouldn't have to actually use any of these elaborate plans. So my thought is, why does this happen, right? I think there's a couple of reasons, but the first one is because of nonverbal communication. So there's an old stat that you will hear get thrown out time to time. Um, you might've heard this one. So overall, uh, you know, according to psychologists, about 7% of the communication goes down through the actual words that you say. of your communication comes through your tone of voice and 55% of your communication comes through through your body language. So if you can imagine the person who's not really secure in themselves and a little bit scared versus the black belt who's walking through a dark alley that's filled with muggers or the seasoned managing partner who's done 100 deals and is ready to go walking into the closing call versus the person who's there for the first time, the confidence of that person is going to be obvious without them even having to open their mouth. And when it comes time for them to actually open their mouth, it's going to be even more distinct because you have 38 plus 55. I'm not going to do that math on the fly, but a pretty good indication about where they're actually at, right? And the thing is, they're not faking this. This isn't some sort of a zany psychology trick or whatever. It's not a, uh, They're not faking anything. They're just genuinely confident about whatever happens and that they're going to be in control of the situation or at least okay in the situation, right? 
And this stuff comes across, right? 55 plus 38% of what you're happening is going to be stuff that's in your head, not necessarily what you're saying. But I think it gets really interesting when we think about sort of the game theory about this, right? How is this going to affect other people? And my kind of belief on this is that the reason why you're, you're never going to have these situations pop up when, you, when you're ready for it is because people don't want to test strength, right? If you think about on the flip side, that mugger in the dark alley, right? They're not going to wait for the person who's walking like they're 10 feet tall to you know, go ahead and mug. They're going to walk, walk with the person who's you know, shifty and looking around and not really feeling confident, right? Um, the same thing too. A lot of the times people who might be an aggressive negotiator, like maybe this is like the hitman for the company that you're negotiating with, right? And if they see that you know what you're talking about, they're going to probably save their energy for the next three calls they have that day, right? So being able to hold your own in a situation like this is actually a deterrent for having to use those skills. And honestly, if you had to use those skills, it really wouldn't be the worst thing at the end of the day, because if they get tested, you have them, right? So it's it's totally fine. And again, there's there's varying degrees of this too. Sometimes too, if you respond well to like an opening bid, or if you know there's little these testing things with these kind of people, then if you respond well, then people are just going to back off, right? You're never going to end up in the actual air quotes fight or you know hardcore shouting match negotiation or whatever it happens to be, right? But let's invert this and talk about the opposite, which is kind of dark to think about. But in the situation where you're showing weakness or not showing strength you're actually creating more situations where you would actually need the strength, which unfortunately, in this case, you don't have, right? So I don't want to really get too cynical here, but you got to kind of understand that deep down, people are not bad, but we evolved from predatory apes, right? So just like your, your dog, whether it's a husky or a chihuahua, it's a wolf deep down. And if you give them the right programming, they're going to go back to the wolf program, right? And most of the time, people are nice and so are dogs, but you know, the basic operating system is designed to attack and claim resources. That's what we're evolved to do, right? So in the same way, you guys might know that you know, if you have an unfriendly dog, if you are scared in front of an unfriendly dog, they're going to bark at you and they might chase you, God forbid, if uh, hopefully they have a really strong fence if you're walking by someone's house. So that's an unfriendly dog who's turned into a wolf, right? The moment it sends fear, it's going to go after it, right? And the same thing, you know, there's people out there, they're going to go out to take advantage when they see that they can take advantage, right? I don't think that these are bad people. I don't even think people know this for the most part, but I'll say you, know, you might have been on the other side of the situation and not even realize it. If you've ever worked for tips or if you've been in a lot of sales conversations, you know the feeling when you're in a conversation, you're in complete control and you know that whatever you say, you can pretty much get it out of that person. That's the flip side of this, right? You have that control because on some level, you probably sensed weakness. You've probably understood that this person is not in control of the situation, right? And that doesn't make you a bad person either, right? But pretty much if you are the situation where, you know, you are relatively weaker than somebody who's in a negotiation or a consultation or a sales call or something like that, it's a bad situation to be in, right? And it's really unfortunate because the people who are the least ready are the ones who end up getting taken for the most. So if on the flip side, if you've ever had a situation where you're like, you know, you got buyer's remorse, I don't understand how that guy talked me into closing that deal. Or, you know, you get totally ran over in a client consultation, you might understand how this feels, right? So that's the flip side. The less ready you are, the more you'll actually be tested. So to make this a little bit more positive, let's let's talk about the actional part of this podcast, right? And that is the choice is totally yours what side you want to be on, right? So I'm going to use the mastery of client consultations outside referrals because that's something that we've been talking about a lot with clients. So let's think this door number one, door number two. Behind door number one, you have the option to invest your time and energy into being ready to win the consultation and get paid just like the martial artists who's training at the gym. And chances are, because of this paradox, you might not actually have to use your book of objection handles and all those role plays that you did, and you don't have to actually put them to test once you're ready to. But if you end up being put to the test, you're also fine because you've practiced them and you know how to handle yourself. 
Door number two is basically not being in control and continue to be getting air quotes beat up by clients and consultations, right? And the reason that most people don't consider this an option is because it's super convenient and super ego protective to think that you have a lead quality problem instead of a process problem. But if you've seen the light and hopefully if you've been listening to this podcast for a little while, you're at least somewhat amenable to it, at least accepting the possibility that your process has even some effect on the outcome of your consultations. Now you have the choice, you're empowered, right? So think of the last bad consult that you have. And you know, if you're lucky for the sake of this exercise, at least maybe it happened the other day, right? And if that's you, if you just got off a bad consultation, you might be down in the dumps, but you're pretty much like that person who just got mugged, right? Some people let that destroy them and get bitter, but some people sign up for the gym and then directly or indirectly never have that happen to them again. So my closing question is, which one do you want to be? And um, as far as next steps, if you want to, air quotes, step into the dojo, uh, I've got some good news for you because we've actually just launched a new Facebook group that comes with training and community on how to overcome these objections. It's all about winning client conversations, how to take control of your consultations and ultimately take control of your revenue once and for all. So check the show notes for this link, or if you are a really good touch typer, go to facebook.com slash groups slash double your case files right now if you're interested in that. And um, depending on when you listen to this, we'll have an estate planning masterclass available for free. We're probably eventually going to charge that um, if that happens to be a practice area. So absolutely jump on that if that's the case. But if not, we've got more general metrics courses and we're going to be putting out content there on the regular. So I'll see you there. And if not, I'll see you again on Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern on another episode of the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.